0: I know you've been waiting for this. Last week, we started our study in the book of Revelation. And I told you this was a scary picture. This is what people think when they think of apocalypse. But remember, church, what apocalypse means. The word is Greek, not English. It means an unveiling, a taking away of the mystery. Revelation is not to hide things from you. Revelation is to show you what God is doing, to show you his heart, to show you his love. So we set the stage last week. We had a picture of Jesus, exalted, dressed in the garments of a priest, standing in the midst of seven lampstands. Remember what the seven lampstands are church? It's seven churches. Seven churches found in Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. Seven of the most prominent and important cities of their day. Why did God ask John to write a letter to seven cities? Because these were the seven postal districts of the empire. From these seven cities, the information, the knowledge could go to every city. It could cover all of the Roman Empire. That's why he said, write a letter. And remember what the Jesus was holding in his right hand? There were seven stars. And what did he say the stars were, church? The stars were the angels of the church. And we explored that. They are not angels like the angels in heaven. They are angelos, messengers. The messengers are pastors. The messengers are Bible teachers. The messengers are those who hold the gospel in their hand. So for today, I step into the position of the angel, and I proclaim to you Revelation chapter 2. The first question I have for you is this. I have a question for you today. When I was in school, there was a professor who always had a sneaky smile on his face. You ever know someone that has got a sneaky smile? Not that I'm talking about me. But when you see somebody with a sneaky smile on their face, you know they're gonna get you, right? There's always that one person that tries to set you up and make you look a little silly. This teacher had a bad reputation because he knew all the married students and all the single students. So he'd walk up to the single students. He'd go, young lady, how's your love life? And all the young women would get offended. Why? Why, professor, you you know I'm a good girl. I'm a seminary student. I would never do it. I don't have a love life. You know, that was the one thing heard most often on campus. I don't have a love life. Really, we didn't have a love life. I mean, come on. But seriously, what he was asking was not how's your romantic life. That's not what he was asking. He was asking, how is your love for Jesus Christ? How is your love for the church? How is your love for God? That's what I want to look at. Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. True love teaches discernment. True love teaches discernment. Now think back over your life, guys. Can you remember your first love? Can you remember your first love? If you can, don't say anything because your wife is sitting next to you. Okay? Possibly and hopefully... You are married to your first love, not your first crush, not your first puppy love. Because let me tell you something, young ladies, you guys fall in love about as often as it rains, okay? Seriously, you have these attack of puppy loves. Notice I'm looking at one side of the room. I'm going to get them, yeah. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real, deep, passionate, true, self-sacrificing love. True love teaches discernment. It separates puppy love from true commitment. Take a look at the Word of God today. Verse 1 Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says this I know your works, your labor, and your endurance that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. Interesting start to the letter. Now, we know that they're going to write to seven churches because God's already said, write to the seven churches. We know that these churches represent not just types of churches, but types of believers. Because where does the Holy Spirit live? Does he live in this building? Hopefully not. This is, you know, it's a building. Sharon said it. The Holy Spirit dwells in the heart of every believer. Guess what, guys? That makes you a sanctuary. You are a sacred vessel for the Holy Spirit of God. That's why, ladies, without even looking at you, I'm going to tell you this. Don't ever let a man disrespect you. A, because you'll force your father to hurt him. My daughter's sitting right there. B, because you hold the Spirit of God in your life. You deserve more than to be disrespected or used by a man. And every parent should say something. Okay, anyways, here's the thing. We are amazing people. Look at this. He says, write to the church in Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lamps. That's Jesus Christ Almighty. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. What's so important about Ephesus? Cast your mind back to all your Sunday school lessons. What do you know about Ephesus? Ephesus was a very important city. Paul went to Ephesus. In fact, Paul was preaching in Ephesus. Do you remember what happened among the silversmiths of Ephesus? Ephesus was famous because it was the home of the Temple of Diana, Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, she was one of the false goddesses of the Roman Empire. What was important about her temple, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was huge. Think of the most massive church you have ever seen in your life. I've seen, I've seen the temple in Salt Lake City that the Mormons call the center of the universe. It was nothing, nothing compared to the temple of Artemis. Nothing. This thing was massive. It was huge. In the center of it was a gold-covered statue of the false goddess herself. And everyone made their pilgrimage there because she was the goddess of fertility. You want more kids? Go see Diana of Ephesus. You have more kids. In fact, the silversmiths made their living by crafting these small silver replicas of the temple so you could take it home, put it next to your bed, pray to Diana every night before you went to bed, and hopefully you get a kid out of it. That's what was so important about Ephesus. It was consumed with the worship of Diana or Artemis now here's the thing Paul went in preaching that Artemis was a false goddess that she was not real she was stone and gold the silversmiths were losing money so they started a rebellion and they, they chanted for hours remember great is Artemis of Ephesus you know great is the temple of Diana and they did that for hours causing unrest this city was a hotbed of religious upheaval What else do you know about Ephesus? There were over a thousand prostitutes working in the temple. Diana was the goddess of fertility. It can't have fertility if you're not fertilizing. And so everybody who went to the temple went to the temple for one reason. All the prostitutes that worked there. Come on, guys. False religion is all about the person It's all about what feels good. It's all about what makes you happy. False religion never calls you to a higher standard. False religion always lets you settle. That's what separates true love, the love of a husband and a wife, from puppy love that you experience in junior high, high school, college, and deep into your 40s, for some of you. Anyways, here's the thing. You need to be able to discern what is true and what's not. What does it say right here in the scripture. It says, you have tested those who call themselves apostles. Interestingly enough, Ephesus was the home of the silversmiths. The silversmiths had very accurate scales to tell them how much silver they were putting into a statue because that was the price. More silver, you know, more cost, right? Silver soared up to almost $40 an ounce. So when you take silver in to sell it, they weigh it specifically. You know what that's called in the language of the New Testament? Testing. It was tested. Right here. It says you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. The word is to assay. When you dug gold in California back in the gold rush days, you took it to the assay office. They would make sure it was pure. They would check its weight, and they would give you the amount in currency that you deserved. When we experience anything in this life, any type of religious leader, they use the word apostle here. Apostle was a type of ambassador of Christ who was sent out. He didn't stay in Jerusalem. He went out to carry the gospel to the world. Originally, there were 12 apostles, even though one was false. Paul becomes the 14th. Who's the 13th apostle? Matthias. Judas was the 12th, and he winds up dead. And when he's dead, they need to replace him. They cast lots for the last time in history, and there's Matthias. Matthias is the 12th apostle. Never confuse that. Chosen by God. Paul becomes the 13th. He becomes apostle born out of time. He becomes a unique vessel that God's going to use to reach out to the Gentile world. What's amazing is this. We live in a day and age much like that described by Amos. Let me just read it to you. Don't look it up, just listen to it. Amos sent a message. He said, hear this. The days are coming. This is the declaration of the Lord our God when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. In Amos's day, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of false apostles, false prophets, people who spoke in the name of Yahweh, but they were not of God. We live in a day and age like that. You guys need to test, assay, weigh out anyone who says to you, I will teach you God's word, I will preach to you God's word, I will give you spiritual wisdom. Anytime you pick up a self-help book by a famous pastor... I don't care if it's John MacArthur or Joel Osteen, whoever wrote the book. You need to assay that book. Now, how do you know the truth of something? If you worked in a bank, you could pick up a bill, you could rub it between your fingers, and you don't have to test it with a marker. You know if it's true or false. Do you know how? My mom used to tell me this. My mom worked in a store for so long, she could pick up a bill, rub it, and know if it was real because she had handled... Thousands upon thousands of real bills. She says, Son, if I pick up a counterfeit, I know it when I touch it. You should know a lie when you hear it because you handle God's word so much. You're in God's word so much. You know the lie because it sounds like a lie. You know it's a lie because it doesn't ring truth, what you know. That's what they did. Paul had taught them so well that when someone came into Ephesus and said, I am a pastor, I'm a preacher, I will tell you God's word. They said, fine, speak. Just like the Bereans, they took it back to the word of God and they made sure it was true. They accepted nothing on the face. This says, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and you have called them liars because they are not of us. That's an important thing. True love teaches discernment. If you're going to be a true believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know the truth from a lie. And the only way you can do that is to handle the word of God, handle the truth so much that when you hear a lie, you know it's a lie when you hear it. But there's something else that goes with that. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what does this have to do with true love? Real simple. If you've ever known and truly loved someone, everything else feels fake. Because that kind of love, you cannot mistake. Puppy love seems real. Beginning youthful love seems really great and overwhelming and dramatic. And the thing is, it's only tested with time. You can't trust what you feel at first. You trust what you know over time, over experience. Never trust what you first feel. Always trust what you test out. And that's how it connects to romance and love in our day and age. But of course, we're not talking about boyfriends and girlfriends. We're talking about the Lord. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 3. True love also teaches perseverance. Perseverance. It says this in verse 3. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. There was a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. That's a good name if you ever have a son. You want to curse his life. Call him Heraclitus. I mean, teachers will love him because of who Heraclitus was, but everybody will pick on that kid incessantly. Heraclitus said this, I am from the city of Ephesus. It is my home, and I can tell you without doubt the inhabitants who live in that place possess lives of terrible uncleanness. The Greeks embraced homosexuality, bisexuality, trisexuality, drunkenness, orgies, And on top of all that, he calls them unclean. How bad was this town? How terrible was Ephesus? That's why when when John writes them, he writes these words of the Lord, you possess endurance. This word is patient continuance. Patient continuance. Have you ever been in a bad situation, church? A bad situation where you knew there was no way out right now and all you could do was bear with it? You ever been in that situation? You ever been in a situation, maybe within your family or your workplace, where at that moment there's nothing you can do about the problem, but you know that if you patiently endure it, there will come a time when you can do something about it, when you can make the right motion, the right movement. That's what he's talking about. Ephesus was a town that hated Christians, despised Christians, worshipped this temple with its thousand prostitutes. And it's silversmiths. These Christians in Ephesus had been through the ringer. They had suffered. There were some merchants who would not sell them food. There were some people who would not allow them to live next door. They would drive them out. They would burn their homes. They would throw sticks at their children to drive them out of the city. You know why? The world does not like conviction. Okay? How many of you have been driving down the road... It was a miracle day. God was with you. You were not speeding. You actually were in your lane and doing the speed limit. And a cop pulls up beside you or behind you. What's the first thing that happens? You start sweating. You feel nervous. You know why? Nobody likes to have the eyes of the law on them. Even if you're not doing anything. Ask Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike is great. because He says, I'm a pastor. And they love him. I'm also a sheriff. Everybody says, oh, that's nice. Good to meet you, sir. You know, they treat you differently when you're a police officer because nobody likes the eyes of authority on them. But here it was. These Christians lived in a microscopic world. Everybody was looking at them. That's why it says you possess endurance, patience, the ability to continue in hard times. If you want to think about it in the romantic world, now that you're in college, temptation is huge. I mean, you can do anything you want, anytime you want, with anyone you want, and there's no parents around. Talk about the devil unchaining the door. Man, college, anybody that survived college, you know I'm telling you the truth, don't you? When the eyes of your parents are not upon you, the devil throws things in your mind you can't believe. Here's the thing, that's when endurance matters. Talk to any runner, anyone that does any kind of running in school. You have to train cardio every day, why? To increase your endurance. You can't be healthy and run a marathon. The last guy that tried that died. You know that, right? The very first marathon was an accident. The Greeks won a battle at Plataea, and they picked a healthy Greek soldier, and they said, run back to Athens and tell them, Nike, we have won. So the young soldier picked up his his weapon and his shield and he ran back to Athens, 26.2 miles. He came into the city, he said, Nike, we've won, and died of a heart attack. That's why it's called a marathon. Because Plataea was in the plains of Marathon. That's why it's called that. Because this guy died bringing back the message. But he had endurance, He was able to tough it out and get the job done and if you want to run a marathon you have to train to to raise your endurance if you want to be a strong christian you've got to learn that you only get stronger when you say no like when you're on a diet and someone puts a cheesecake in front of you are you going to increase your endurance by eating the cheesecake and starting your diet tomorrow i mean it works for me but i mean there you go we only get endurance When we say one at a time, not this time. You know, I'm going to eat the next cheesecake, but I'm not going to eat that one. And then the next cheesecake comes along. You know what? I'm not going to have that cheesecake. I'm going to wait till the next one. Ray said that like 100 years ago, and he's still waiting for his cheesecake because he's still being healthy. Good job, Ray. I see you back there. Okay. That's endurance. You know, you, you look at what it takes to do anything that requires willpower, and it's doing one thing right every time. You can't plan for six months. You can do the next thing right. That's what these guys did. It says, You have endured many things. You've tolerated many things, endured many things because you are mine and you have not grown weary. The word weary is interesting. It's the word to sicken or faint. You ever been so hungry you fainted? Okay, I, I try to avoid that at all costs. So, uh, you know, I eat every six hours and then I eat two snacks in between. It works out really good. No. If you go without eating, you will sicken and faint. Just like in this world, if you try to get through this world and be faithful to Christ, if you are not praying, if you're not feeding on the word of God, you will sicken and faint. But you know what it says? Over there in Isaiah chapter 40, somewhere around verse 30, there's a verse about birds. I think it says something like, uh, young men grow weary, faint pass out, something like that. And then it says, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, mount up with wings like eagles. What's the, sick, what's, the, what's the difference? The young men who have all the physical power pass out. But the ones who are old and fat and bald who trust in the Lord, we're still there hanging in, not because we have endurance, but because he is strengthening us. He is nourishing us. He's giving us what we need. Don't think you can do it on your own, church. You can't. You see, true love teaches persistence. If our truest, most passionate love is for Jesus Christ, then saying no to the girl, no to the party, no to the drag racing, no to whatever you get involved in becomes that much easier because you're responding to love, not fear. Churches try to Guilt people into doing the right thing. Guilt can never make you do the right thing. Love makes you do the right thing. Guys, what makes us give our wives credit cards and we never check the balance? I heard that. It's not stupidity. I heard that. No. It's love. It is love that gives us the ability to trust and to put into their hands the control of their fate and ours too, you know? That's just one example. But we do it out of love. Not because they won't cook us dinner until we do, okay? Y'all missed that one, didn't you? Okay, we're going to keep going. My thing is this, this true love that he's talking about the Ephesians having, this is amazing, but look in Revelation 2, 4 through 7. True love must be preserved. Now, here's one thing I'll tell you up front. Never let me hear you say these words, because if you do, you you will see the ugly side of me. Never say, we fell out of love. What does that mean? First of all, you don't fall in love. You fall in lust. Be honest. You don't fall in love. It doesn't just happen. No, they can listen. They need to hear it. You don't fall in love, church. You grow in love. You develop in love. Passion lasts for about a week. And then you figure out, oh, dear God, I am stuck with this person for the rest of my life. I heard her when she said it, so I'm just quoting her. Anyways, you grow, you develop in love. That's why you cannot fall out of love. You cannot fall out of something you grow into. If you act on impulse, how pretty she is, how strong he is, how good he looks without a shirt and long hair. I don't get that. I don't... See, I eavesdrop a lot in the back, so I hear things I shouldn't hear. But it's okay, it's okay. I'll be beaten later, but I don't mind. The truth is we grow, we develop, and we have to actively work. Anybody here not know that real love is the hardest job in the world? Anyone not know that? Real love or real marriage takes constant work. You can't say, you know, honey, I love you, but I'll get back to you in two or three days. I need some me time. You know what happens? You come back in two or three days. Your clothes are in your car, which is on fire in the driveway. <laughs> you don't step out of marriage ever. It's 24-7, 365, unless it's leapier, then it's 366. Because you don't get a day off from marriage. You don't get a day off from the Lord either. Look at this. But I have this against you. He's praised them up till now. He has praised them for their strength, their endurance. But I have this against you. You have abandoned. That's an important word. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. That's an important thing to say about preservation. Look at this. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. The word abandoned is interesting. It means to lay aside. It means to test something. There's that word I say again. To test something and find it of no value. So what the Lord is saying is, yeah, you have all these things you do right, and you stand up, and you've bit the bullet, and you've done the right thing. But your true love for me, you've set it aside. We've talked many times about how religion can take the place of faith, right? Just like... Living together can take the place of marriage. Marriage is an active word. Marriage takes time, focus, commitment. It takes going out of our way to say, Honey, how are you today? Can I rub your feet? Can I take you out for a steak? what, What do you mean you don't like steak? Come on. No, seriously. It is doing that every single day, not just on your anniversary. Try talking to your wife once a year on her anniversary You'll see what happens to you. It happens. This says these people, even though they're doing the right thing, they're still in it, they have laid aside, they have abandoned the love that they had at first. Now, what does that mean? Keep going a little bit further. Remember then how far you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. Aha, there's that sneaky word works. What does he mean by works? What works did they do? If you remember back in the book of Acts, If you don't remember, go back and look at the book of Acts. The first time he talks to them, he talks to them about how passionately they love one another. He talks about these Ephesian people. He says, you guys really love each other. You take care of each other. You you, you are in each other's lives. You do all these things that are so important. When we look at this, we start to wonder, now wait a second, two things could be happening here. And actually, I think the two things go together. We can become so religious that going to church, going to Bible study, having a morning quiet time, praying through the prayer list, that can become a substitute for a real relationship. Just like in marriage, waking up in the morning, hi dear, thank you dear, bye dear, see you tomorrow dear, all of that can take the place of real communication, real conversation, real talking. You guys know what I mean. In every relationship, I'm not going to limit it to marriage because some of y'all aren't married. If you're not married, be happy. You know, I'm just saying this for this reason. When you're ready, you will be. It will come in its appointed time, not till then. We had a friend of ours who was constantly looking for a boyfriend. That's all she could think about was finding a boy, finding a boy, finding a boy. Guess what? She never found a boy. Guess what happened? She gave up. Then you know what happened? She found a boy. You know why? Who was the God of her life? Her marital status. What was the thing she thought about first thing in the morning, last thing at night? Her marital status. What was God not going to give her until she got her priorities straight? Her marital status. Just like anything else. If we put anything in God's place, God may just hold that back a little bit until we get things straightened out. You want a great marriage? Make Jesus Christ the most important part of your life. You know why? Because when your love for Christ is passionate, it's on fire, it's burning, everything else in your life will make sense. Then you know what? You say, but uh, people at church, they're like this, and my spouse is like that, and how can I, how can I be happy if all these people are in my life? Simple. Focus on the Lord first. So mom and dad aren't the best mom and dad in the world. Forgive us, we're human. You know, maybe your husband is a little rounder than taller now. It happens over age, you know. Maybe all that hair migrated to his back, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. What are the excuses we use? Seriously, people. So maybe when you first got married, your wife just fell all over you and preened you and loved you. And, and now she's worried about the kids and the bills and the dog and all that stuff. Life happens. Life happens. Life happens. Our first relationship is not to be with our husband and wife. Our most important relationship is with who? The Lord who is God. When my relationship to him is straight, my relationships to my wife and daughter are perfect. You know why? My priorities are straight. I think that's what's happening here. I think they had suffered so much, they were now determined that they were going to stay faithful. But they had lost the joy of that relationship. They were doing it. But the love was gone. The passion was gone because they were not feeding it. They were not fueling it. You know what, guys? You can kill a marriage by simply ignoring it. it. says you have abandoned, laid aside as not the most important thing, that which is most important, our walk with Christ. You want to meet a great girl? You want to have a wonderful life later on? You want to do well in school? Make Christ the first most important thing in your life because then your world is straight. Seek ye first the, not the hot girl next door. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, not the hunk with the big shoulders and the long hair, and his righteousness, and then the hot girl next door, the hunky guy with the long hair. All of that gets added unto you in God's time when you are ready. Right? Is that true, church? Is it true? Now you see what the Ephesians had going on. Because they were suffering, they had taken their eyes off Christ. Because they took their eyes off Christ, they put their eyes where? On themselves. And religious people have very little love for one another, don't they? Really, religious people have love for no one but themselves. So when our relationship to Christ suffers, it's not about him. Then we tend to ignore each other. They had been praised in the book of Acts because they loved each other. They had taken care of each other. Maybe that had waned because now all they could think about was themselves and what they were going through. I think it's amazing. So how do they do the works? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, body. What's the second commandment? And your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord first. Everybody else will fall in the line right behind it. So guys, it goes God, wife, and or husband, then your children, then the rest of the world. That's how you keep the world centered up, people. That's how it works. If you're single, God is first. Your life in him is first. Then everything else will come along later. Everything else will fall into place. But if you put something else in that place, your life will never make sense. It will not be at peace because your life is not ordered. Finally, he says this. Yet you have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. It's kind of weird, though. These Nicolaitans, the name Nicolaitan means the people who conquer or those who conquer the people. What was the conquering force in Ephesus? What was the one thing that drove everybody? Commerce, business, money. Commerce, business, money was the temple of Diana, the temple of Artemis. So you know what, it looks like the people had begun to compromise. Some people were kind of saying, you know what, I can still be a believer in Jesus and a worshiper of Diana and a good business person who lies and cheats on my taxes, et cetera, et cetera. All this compromise was happening. You know, it's interesting because there was a group of people at this time who had as their initial belief that they had special insight into the world. Anytime a religious leader tells you, I have a secret word from God, you know what you should do? Run away. Because there's no such animal. God doesn't give secrets to anybody. Revelation means unveiling, opening it up so that everybody can see the truth. That's what's going on here. These Nicolaitans were just like Balaam in the Old Testament. Balaam couldn't curse the people of God because God wouldn't allow it. So what did he do? He told Balak the king, oh, you want to defeat the Israelites? Take your hottest women, put them in their shortest skirts, and send them into the camp. Let them marry the Israelite men and then lead them into idolatry. You know what? It worked too. It worked really well. That's why the Israelites hated the Moabites because it was their women that came in and seduced the men and led them into idolatry. The world tries to send people into our lives to seduce us away from Christ. And when that happens, we run the risk of walking the way of the Nickelodeons, this way of secret knowledge, or this way of compromise. He says, you hate these people. You don't like this. And that's what God says I have for you. He says, anyone has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice, is that the word church, singular? What God says to the churches. Just because this letter was sent to Ephesus doesn't mean it doesn't apply to every other church as well. This letter applies to all of us. If any one of us have allowed our passion for Christ to slip, If we're doing what we do out of vain religion or out of habit or to make somebody else happy, that's when we run the risk of our hearts growing cold, of our passion for the Lord waning. That's what we have to be careful of. So, you know, what does it mean here at the end? I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. Where was the tree of life, by the way, guys? Garden of Eden. What got destroyed in the flood everything what was underwater for a year the Garden of Eden is the Garden of Eden still there no because it got wiped out there is no Garden of Eden it's gone it was destroyed in the flood but Revelation chapter 22 2 says that there will be a new kingdom a new heaven and new earth and through the middle of the new heaven and new earth flows a river And on that river, there is what? You should be able to guess it by now. A tree of life, which gives forth fruit every month in its season. Why did Adam and Eve die? Because they got kicked out of the garden? Their access to the tree of life was cut off. Their access to the tree of... Look at this. Down the middle of the broad street of the city, on both sides of the river, was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit every month. The leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. That's what awaits us in heaven. That's the source. We have access to the tree of life, and we will never die. Now, yes, Jesus is the tree of life. But the tree of life is there for us to have access to. So those of us who are victorious, who remain faithful to Christ, who are not vain religious people, doing it for our own thing, we have access to that fraternity. And we will never die. The good news is this. um, In the second century, there was a church father named Iggy. His name was Ignatius, but I don't like that name. So Iggy wrote this later that when he uh, wrote a a letter to um, the people in Ephesus, he says, thank you for you have not succumbed to the heresy of our age. Apparently, they heard the words that John wrote Because Ignatius wrote his letter 15 years later, 15 years after John died. And at that time, they were still faithful. They were still holding out against the heresy of their time. So how's your love life, church? If I were to ask you right now, in your mind, please don't say it out loud. Somebody will hear you, especially your wife. How is your love life? How is your love life with Christ, with the Lord our God? Are you a 10? Are you burning? Are you on fire? Is it the source of all of your joy, all of your love, all of your peace? Is everything you have resting on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Ladies, when your husband comes home upset because he lost his job, when the kids are having trouble in school with their grades, when the the, the bill collector is banging down the door because you haven't paid that last bill, do you still have peace in Christ? Can you still say, it is well with my soul? If you can say that, then you are a 10. You are perfect. So has your relationship with Jesus given you discernment about what, kind, what is true and what is false? When you hear things today in the media, on the news, on television, from pastors, do you know the truth when you hear it? Can you say categorically, that is truth, that is a lie, that is a lie, and that is a lie. Can you say that, church? Because that is what every believer, not pastors, that is what every believer must be able to say. I know true love when I see it and hear it. Two, do you find yourself strong enough to stand up for your faith against even strong opposition? Are you willing to say no to that handsome boy, that really cute girl, because they are not believers? because they do not have the same passionate love for God that you have. I'm not saying non-Christians are bad people. I've told you about my family. Most of my family are not Christians, and I love them, and they are wonderful. But there is a truth that cannot be denied. And if I didn't confront you with this, I would not be a good angel, a good passenger, well, a good messenger. Here's the thing, church you have to have that discernment. You have to have that strength because that's the strength it takes to stay in a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. Third, is your passion for Jesus as strong today as it was when you were first saved? Be honest, church. In your head, are you as passionate, as on fire for Christ today as you were then? Or is church just a place you come to hang out with your friends and be seen of them be honest church because God knows the truth doesn't matter what we say he knows our hearts finally if you said yes to all three then you are definitely not an Ephesian Christian you are not a person who has to worry about this letter but if any one of those answers if any one of those answers is no if you if your relationship is kind of fuzzy if you're not always sure then you run the risk of being an Ephesian Christian you run the risk of hearing wrongly in this day and age. So look at, this, look at his, um, his warning again. He says up here, remember how far then you have fallen from that first love. Repent and do the works you did at first. Put the time into prayer. Put the time into God's word. Put the time into your walk with Christ and then your whole life will change. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. This letter is a challenge, Father. This letter is strong. It was written with a warning in it. Father God, I thank you that John was carried into prison on the Isle of Patmos. Father, I thank you that you led him there. And, and I am not glad that he suffered, Father, but I am so glad that he was receptive and he heard everything you had for him to say. Father, I thank you that the Ephesian church appeared to have heard you. They appeared to have gone back and repented of their apathy and they renewed and, and, and re-impassioned Their their walk for you. And God, I just ask you to breathe into our church today that same passion. Father, reignite our hearts. Set us on fire, Lord, with our love for you. Father, you saw us when we were unlovable. You reached down, you pulled us up when we were untouchable. You have loved us, you have desired us, you have put your angels around us. Father God, you have given us forgiveness for all that we did and said, and Lord, you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, you have given us eternity as our inheritance. Lord, I pray that today, if anyone is here, Father, if any one of us has slipped and allowed our passion to grow cold, Father, if we have become weakened through the, through the days that have gone on, Lord, renew us today. Re-impassion us, re-inflame us. God, if there's anyone here today who's never met you for the first time, if there's anyone here who doesn't even know what that passion looks like, who doesn't know what it means to be consumed by You, by our, by our every thought, our every desire, to bring You glory and to praise You. Father, I pray that today they would feel You knocking at their heart. And that, Father, they would, if they, if they hear You today, Lord, I pray they would open themselves to accept You as Lord and Savior, to repent and turn to You, and to begin a walk with You today that will last for the rest of eternity. Father, as we sing now, as we sing and lift our voices, receive the praise of your people. And Father, help us to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.